Podcast. I'm Andy Murphy. I'm calling this episode No Longer Gentle Indians Part 3 because this is a subject that makes us angry and we have some stuff to say about it. The previous two parts were on food appropriation and sexism in the kitchen, and you can check them out on the Toasted Sister website or in the archive. Uh, today's episode is on non-native outsiders telling us what to eat. And I'm bringing in Felicia Kokoxin Ruiz, Tiwa and Chicana chef and holistic healer, and Lynn Lane, Diné community health nutritionist, to lay it down for us. But I have a couple of announcements before we get started. I'll be giving a talk about indigenous food and native media and podcasting in Las Cruces, New Mexico on Tuesday, April 9th. This event is part of American Indian Week at New Mexico State University, and it's for the student community, but it's open to the public. And details are posted on the Toasted Sister website and social media pages. New Mexico State University is my alma mater, and I'm happy to be part of the Dream Keepers program at NMSU this summer. The Dream Keepers program encourages Native youth to go to college by giving them a two-week tour of campus to experience uh, college life and explore different kinds of careers. I will be leading a cooking class and talking to the students about Indigenous food and media. And registration is still open for Indigenous students grades 9 through 12 to apply. The deadline is April 15th. So visit the Indian Resource Development website at ird.nmsu.edu. Here we go. On to the episode. My name is Lynn Lane. I work for a Native American community where I um, clients. I do nutrition education. Um, there's a lot of different classes that we, that we've done, and we're, we're continually trying to expand that. Just trying to show people, like you know, how to prepare food and how to prepare how to prepare healthy food that you know that they'll enjoy to eat and that they'll take that skill and apply it at home. You know, even at work if they do potlucks and stuff like that. That's really what our goal is: is to help people understand like what healthy cooking and healthy eating looks like. Um, some of the things that we find in our community, the community that I work in, is that. There is a huge knowledge gap on how to prepare certain foods. You know, they say, oh, you should eat more spinach or you should eat more greens. You know, a lot of people don't know what that means or even how to prepare it. So when they do purchase it, they're not sure how to do that. So we kind of go through the motions of saying, this is how you can prepare it and this is what you would do. This is how you clean it. And this is how you, you can cut it in these different ways and prepare it and, you know, in this manner. I wanted to focus on the the hospital and the clinic settings because this is where a lot of that work um, is happening, where um, people are addressing and and trying to fight uh, these um, health disparities we have in our Native communities. And this is uh, where, like, a lot of the work is happening, um, uh, where a lot of the money is going towards uh, these programs like diabetes programs to, you know, all the little IHS programs and stuff like that. Um, But I think 
maybe we've kind of noticed um, um, uh, who who's in charge of some of these programs. And some of these programs, it's a, a, a non-Native person, a non-Native dietitian who's the head of uh, some of these programs. Um, when we have like a non-Native person who's not from the community, who maybe was trucked in from all the way across the country, I mean, how... How do you how do you think their work is maybe beneficial or not to Native people uh, that they are working with? Prior to me getting this job um, or being in this position, um, I have um, family like you know who are very close to me that would go to the doctor's office and would be told you know you need to stop eating processed foods. You know, like, you need to watch your carb intake. You shouldn't be eating this much carbs. Like, your A1C is this. And, you know, um, and in speaking with these, you know, with my family members, um, they would say, I don't know what processed foods are. They're saying these words to me, and I don't understand what that means. You know, I don't know what it means to eat carbs. I don't know what it means to, I don't know what the A1C means. There's a huge knowledge gap about what those terms mean. If my uncle, who I love and he's one of the most intelligent men that I know, doesn't know these concepts of food, it can't just be with him. You know, and the same thing was happening to my auntie. When she would go out to eat, you know, she doesn't speak English well. She doesn't read English well. And, you know, she's sitting across the table from you know, let's say one of her sons, and she's just like, I'll get whatever he, whatever he's eating. You know, caloric intakes that are different, and, you know, she, he's eating a high-carb meal because he works construction, where she doesn't. So that's really where I was like, okay, I really need to start talking about nutrition on a very basic level and introducing, you know, foods, you know, that don't take a, a lot of time or effort to make. So that's really how I came into, you know, the work that I do. One of the things that I'm also noticing with the, you know, with the non-natives working in the communities is they're not aware of traditional foods. They're not aware of prior to contact that we were very largely plant eaters. So, you know, getting calcium in the form of blue corn mush, it was is not something that they know. So that's actually one of the elements that I do in my program as well is training service providers on, you know, healthy eating and traditional foods. So we're all kind of sending the same message because, you know, if it's if I have five other people that are supportive in this, you know, that's much more people. We're all singing the same song and preaching the same message. So for me, it's, it's, it's us working together. It's us working together to send the same message. Talk a little bit more about how uh, outsiders kind of demonize Native foods. Do you have uh, any other examples? I think there's a huge misconception about what traditional foods are. You know, there's this idea that, you know, fry bread and Indian tacos are traditional food. So I think getting that message that that's not true traditional foods is something that we're really trying to work together in 
helping people understand, you know, but it's really tough because, you know, commodity foods gives you, gives you those ingredients and you have limited income, you know, and what else are you going to prepare? You know, how are you going to, you know, how are you going to make ends meet? So one of the things that if we're going to provide a recipe for a healthy alternative, we want to, we want to provide the food as well. So if I'm going to do a class, let's say I'm going to do a nutrition class on reading labels, you know, I'm going to provide a healthy snack. I'm going to provide, you know, maybe a a healthy salad with the list of ingredients and the recipe there. So if they like it, it's something that they know that they can get. I know with our, uh, the commodity foods, you know, there's been a huge shift in trying to provide more fresh fruits and vegetables and, you know, they're trying to get away from the canned meat as well. So again, using uh, using those things as well as ways that they can incorporate, you know, healthier recipes and healthier foods. Right, right. And uh, Felicia, let's um, bring you in. Uh, do you want to expand on that? How um, maybe the history of how outsiders have sort of demonized uh, native food and how that's had an effect to what we think about native food today. You know, as I was listening to Lynn talk about the the fry bread and things like that, I think a lot of us are trying to help people understand that that's not our traditional food, but a survival food. And that's basically how it all started. I mean, we're trying to survive. And so, you know, because we couldn't grow or we didn't, you know, no longer had access to our traditional foods, you know, we did become reliant on a lot of the commodity foods. Um, something that I do see in my work is that, you know, the boxes are changing, um, but things that the students are telling me, especially ones that are living in the smaller communities, um, they're getting really random things in the boxes, you know, and, and one way it's good because they're being exposed to different foods that are healthy. Um, however, There are foods that I feel are even difficult to learn how to cook if you are a seasoned, you know, home cook. Things like um, an artichoke. It's like what I taught a cooking class recently, I think I was up at Hopi, you know, they were excited about the class and everything. And when it came, you know, for discussion, so many people wanted to know how do we cook these uh, with a spaghetti squash? How do we cook um, artichokes? How do we cook? There were all these random vegetables that they were getting in the boxes. And, you know, many people didn't have any type of internet access or there's not like a expansive library of cookbooks on how to cook some of these things. And so it's really understanding that I don't know, I guess my teaching, I'm coming from a place of compassion because I don't ever want to be that person where I'm like telling them how to change their diet. I'm in, I'm there to encourage them and inspire them, but it's also just like listening because they felt embarrassed that they couldn't ask other people how to cook that food. And especially the spaghetti squash, um, because we're told that's our three sisters, right? Corn, beans, and squash. And yet they were like, we've never seen this squash before. They said it was a squash, but we thought it was a melon, and then we opened it up, and we didn't know what to do with it. I guess that's a little bit, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier about 
feeling that we can place ourselves in their situation perhaps a little bit easier. Um, having, you know, like Lynn said, her, her uncle or having our own relatives be in that same situation where they're not sure what to do and they don't maybe have the same toolkit, you know, whether that's YouTube or the library or just someone to teach them how to do this, you know, learning how to cook, it's it's not just about holding the knife. It's actually about identifying the ingredients. You know, I see this uh, kind of conversation can be connected to, you know, the, the rise in community gardens and backyard mm-hmm. gardens. Um, you know, if you're growing a bunch of artichokes down at the community garden, a community farm, and then you're giving it to the people, like, you know, you better be giving them some, some cooking skills <laughs> with that too, right. or else, you know, they're not going to know what to do with it. And all of your your effort in the garden and all those resources are for naught because that artichoke's just going to go bad in the pantry. And, you know, I, I love this topic about um, teaching people how to cook and learning how to cook, because I think that's something that um, is, is seems like it's missing with all these other great, I mean, they all have to go hand in hand, like um, growing indigenous food, learning about indigenous food, um, connecting the culture um, with indigenous food. You also have to like c- learn how to cook and use these things as well. And I'd like to maybe take a step back with you, uh, Felicia, about um, when outsiders kind of tell us what to do, um, what what kind of legacy are they leaving in Native communities when, you know, outsiders drop in and they're like, your food's bad, here, have some kale? (laughs) Well, um, I'm, so this, what I'm going to say is simply based on my experience with my students. Um, not necessarily my own because I grew up in the city. But when I'm teaching on a lot of the reservations, um, the one thing that I hear often is that they want to listen to me and they want to learn from me. And, you know, at first I thought, what a sweet thing to say until I dug a little deeper, like, what do you mean? And so many people said, it's just, you look like us. And I felt like what was happening or maybe what they were trying to say, and as I asked a little bit more, was they trusted somebody to work with them and not tell them how to eat. And that was something that I kept hearing and on so many different reservations that a lot of the nutritionists will go in there or someone that's teaching a cooking class, and they vilify things like corn, you know, because they are talking about, let's say, GMO corn, you know, just sweet corn we buy, but they're not really talking about the different types of corn, like our heirloom corns. And so then they felt like, you know, for so many of us, our stories, our prayers, our songs, our dances, everything revolved around, revolves around corn. And so to be told that corn was not something, you know, good. It was just like there was this big conflict of like, now I can't eat that. That's not good for me. But they they just didn't understand because it wasn't being explained and it wasn't coming from a space of understanding. So I think that's what is a little bit different. Um, maybe from my own teaching is because I understand because I'm coming from that space too. Um, I also think, you know, 
any of us, you know, it's always nice, myself included, to take a class from a brown person. Like, that's representation matters. And so if we're not out there representing our own people, I guess I kind of feel like I'm bringing all of these theories to life in some ways because I'm not a nutritionist like Lynn. I'm a home cook. You know, I've made my profession out of helping teach people how to cook. And I think that also is not intimidating to them. Um, I'm not trying to give them the skills to go be the next top chef. I'm trying to just teach them how to cook healthier foods um, with what they already have and maybe open their minds to be interested in learning healthier foods like kale or whatever else is at the bashes without saying like, this is what we're eating in our community or this, you know, which might be like an urban white community or something. I want them to feel like this is something that they can include and it's being suggested by a person that looks like them. I'm like, I'm able to say, hey, like I try cooking this myself or my mom has tried eating this or my dad. And I can say like, they also have diabetes or, you know, I can come from that place that feels safe. And I think that trust is such a big thing because, you know, I've I've heard at least some of the older people in my own community say like they don't trust the doctors for for good reason. They don't trust the system in general, the the health system. So to be told what to eat, it's very disheartening. They're not sure who to trust. And so I think to come in there and just say, look, here's some new things that we can try my own family's tried them. I've tried them. It, it really helps build um, up their confidence, too, because they feel like she did it and I can do it, too. Um, you know, I, I definitely uh, know what it's like to be intimidated in the doctor's office, sitting with a nutritionist and being told, you know, a third cup of rice and half a cup of beans and eight ounces of this and two ounces of that and sugars and salts and this is how much you should have. And, um, you know, none of that was um, really things that were kind of familiar in our household, especially like God, fresh vegetables. <laughs> uh, we didn't have fresh vegetables and um, fruits for a long time time in our household as well. And and that's a story of many Native people, especially if you're living like rurally. Yeah, that's something I think that um, outsiders just don't really understand with their when they're coming with their uh, arugula and um, artichoke and <laughs> spaghetti squash. Um, but what would be your advice to uh, non-Natives who are being hired, who are coming in uh, to, to help com- the community uh, nutrition-wise? Well, I think the best thing anyone can do is to listen before they speak. That's something that I always do in the trainings. You know, I go around the room and I want to know what a little bit of their story is and why they're there. Because if I just show up and I'm like pulling out a chart and going over measurements and, you know, portion control and I'm giving statistics, all of this stuff, I've lost them. And I I want to communicate, you know, um, that trust from the very beginning. And if they're able to open up a little bit first, then it helps me even understand more how I can guide through the class. And I think that that little puzzle piece sometimes is missing. At least that's what I'm hearing is that people will say, wow, no one's ever asked us before, or like no one's ever asked what I like to cook or if I can cook or, you know, 
if there's something that I want to learn how to cook, something I love doing when I'm going off, you know, if I'm doing a two-day teaching class on the reservation, you know, I will say this is what we're going to be preparing. However, is there something that you all can agree on that you're really curious to learn about while I'm here? And, you know, many times they'll you know, kind of chit chat between each other. And then they're like, ask her to teach us how to cook, you know, something. And then I'll go to the store after that discussion and buy whatever it was that they talked about, because that's what we want, right? We want people to be interested in what they're, you know, they have to take part in in this too. It's a relationship where I think that's part of the disconnect is when a lot of the, let's say non-Native people are going They're just going there to do their job and I'm going there to change a lifestyle. And so in order, in order to do that, I need to have communication. And so I think that, you know, that would be the best thing is they have to listen first before they could start just going in on, on the class. Right, right. Changing a lifestyle and uh, addressing like just generations of 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 stuff that uh, manifests itself today. I think that's what that's something that a lot of non-native people who work on any you know area of Native America, I think, have to think about is Mm -hmm. um, is just realizing that. Uh, Lynn, let's go back to you. What would your advice be to non-native people coming in to help? improve our nutrition you know i think it i think felicia really i guess like hit the nail on the head is you know i think you know like history's really impacted you know foodways native american foodways i think that's really key in understanding you know because i think that plays a larger role in a lot of things that people do like behavioral and mental and you know spiritual so I would, you know, really advocate for that to help, you know, have them gain more knowledge about, you know, the people and why are they just on this little land, you know, why why don't they go to live in the cities or, you know, those kind of things, I would say, you know. Um, uh, you know, Lynn, you said spiritual and, and, you know, that for me is such a vital part to any class that I teach. Even when I'm teaching non-Native people, I'll talk about the spirituality of the food. And, you know, when I'm on the different reservations and I'm talking about maybe some ingredients that we're going to be cooking with, you know, I always talk about, you know, maybe we'll open with a little short prayer, you know, nothing overly religious or anything, just to set the tone even of the class. Or we will... um talk about the different spirituality that is related to certain foods, whether it's, you know, corn, or maybe there were stories about the different beans, like here in the Sonoran Desert where I live, you know, there's so many beautiful stories with the temporary beans. Um, Just like bringing that element into a class is so unexpected when they've only taken classes that are simply based on portion control and grams and calories and things like that. It's like it, I'm I'm speaking in a language they understand, which is having to just listen to people tell stories, you know, and and that's so important because it opens up a different dialogue and suddenly they start seeing food as food and food as a sacred act and not just a bunch of calories, you know, because even like Lynn said earlier, 
processed food, well, what does that mean? And so we start talking about the, what all of these different words mean. And it all it, it's just so tied together. I mean, this conversation could easily be a couple hours. <laughs> but, you know, and I'm, and I'm glad we're having it because I um, my intention for tonight was actually to, uh, I'm hoping that non-Native nutritionists, non-Native people that are working with um, our different communities will listen to this and hopefully take some notes and be inspired because we need, you know, assistance. We need help, but we need allies. We don't want, we don't need any more people telling us how to eat. We need people to understand where we're coming from. And this is, you know, the history and why we are where we are and to not feel like we're being shamed. And, you know, I'm including myself in that because my own family has been shamed for eating the way that we do. And how do you not know better, you know, from my mom? She went to nursing school how do you not know better how to eat? You're a nurse. Well, this is just how we've always eaten, you know, and it's just there's like a shame. And I, I don't like that feeling for my own family, my own community, because it, it's not going to help us move forward. Right. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this show as well, um, I I shared this story with a couple of people, but um, I like to share it here, too. You know, this this uh, new nutritionist came into our community um, back at home and uh, just wanted to revamp the whole uh, the whole menu. And, um, you know, what one thing that uh, this nutritionist had a question about was blue corn mush and why we were putting this kind of gray stuff in it. And um, it was explained to Mm. her that this gray stuff was um, ashes and Mm -hmm. uh, the nutritionist was like, Oh my God, whose ashes? And um, you know, so so. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's, that's like kind funny, of but gross to think funny. about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I, I when I heard about this, I just completely laughed about it because um, it just shows like how removed these people mm-hmm. are from uh, from the community, <laughs> from from these things that are just like common knowledge. But like, yeah, when you make blue corn mush, you put some cedar rash in there, and it has you know some. Sometimes we don't know how to explain it. You know, it's good for you. That's what we've always done. But but, you know, when you break it down, it's like has all these minerals and it has calcium in it. Brings out and the niacin and all of that, right? Yeah, yeah. You can talk about it like that. Or you can just say, you know, oh, that's what we always do. <laughs> you know, right. so that was one thing like this This non-native nutritionist wanted to take off the menu. But, um, you know, I, I to this day, I don't, I don't really know if it's still on the menu or not. But, um, you know, that that's just something that was kind of shocking to me. Like, who's ashes? What? Ashes? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they don't realize the, we had this science before diet. they came here, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, so Lynn, uh, what kinds of things did you learn at, while you were in school about working with Native people, if that was even in the curriculum? So I have to admit that it was not in the curriculum. Okay. You know, um, <laughs> you know the, the the formal education that I got. Um, you know, we learned about absorption rates, about different, how different minerals work with one another and, you know, how like fat works with, you know, different vitamins and amino acids. You know, we, we, we talked about things from a very like cellular level, like how does food work in that way? 
you know, also this made me think um, in January, um, I was asked to speak um, to one of the, to a nursing program, um, a, a class of, of nursing students at ASU. And it was an integrative nursing program. And, you know, I was so excited because I've been wanting to do this for a while. So I asked the professor, I'm like, can you send me what it is that you're kind of looking at and, and going over as it relates to working with Native people? Because that's why I was asked to speak there, because they wanted to have an Indigenous perspective on nursing. Um, she sent me over like the paperwork that they were studying, and it was like a maybe like a three-page, you know, article written by these nurses, and they were, that was their learning um, for the week or whatever. And I was so in, I was in shock about what the article was about. It was, it was, it really did talk about us as if we were extinct, and it talked about our practices as if those are no, no longer practiced anymore. It talked about our food as if those were like a thing of the past. It was like everything was like a thing of the past. And so I can understand why the professor invited me to talk because she wanted me to basically say like, hey, like she's still doing this. And so or we're still doing this. So I set everything up and, you know, I brought a display of the different traditional foods um, I teach and work with. And you know, I went through a discussion with the, the class and we went over the article and they they were upset after I explained everything, all of these nursing students, because they said they trusted what this was because it was through the nursing association, like something through the nursing association. But because they were not written by indigenous people, their indigenous perspective really was like we were dinosaurs. And so I just want to bring that up because, you know, again, I hope that other people are listening to this that are not indigenous that can understand that even the papers and the articles and the research that you might be looking at to learn how to be a nutritionist, you know, or in this case it was nursing, like you have to really find, you know, and learn from other people about the people that you're going to go teach. And this was like such a perfect example because it, it, it I saw such a divide. And so it just opened their eyes. And I think that's what's really important. And they were able to listen about my experience of working with Native people. And they really just, um, these students, you know, they were young, you know, they were, they were learning and I'm glad that I caught them when I did because now they're going to continue with their education with a little bit of a of um a wokeness, <laughs> you know, just a tiny bit, but that's what we need because if they're going to go back and be a nurse on the reservation and talk to people about, you know, needing to change their diet and in, you know, like Lynn's uncle and, and you've got to stop eating processed foods, they have to understand that okay, well, you're getting processed foods in a commodity box. Like, so this is kind of like a contradiction, you know? So it's really just uh, finding up-to-date material and really checking the source of the articles and things like that. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just read an article today about um, indigenous ways of thinking about time. Um, and it did <laughs> have language like, um, you know, the Native people left old calendars and stuff like like left like we just up and left to somewhere and that's why you don't see us anymore <laughs> yeah I, well, I, I this, come this one that was time. funny big thing it generalized all native people on turtle island and it said native people get up every morning and salute the sun that's, what, that's like, <laughs> like that's almost like literally what it said I and do. It, it, it was so funny. <laughs> well, I'm like, oh, real, I really do. But no, it just was funny because it was just generalizing. You know, there just was here where I live in Arizona. Like we have so many tribes and we have so many different um, belief systems and everything. Like we, it just was so funny. And so it's a matter of like, uh, if you're if you're out there and you're trying to become a nutritionist, you know. We don't all get up and salute the sun. <laughs> you know, we don't all eat the same foods, mm. and we might eat things that are a little bit different from tribe to tribe because we are not all the same. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, we're talking about um, disconnection and uh, what it's like for outsiders to come in. But I think what we're really saying is that we need more Native people in these fields. Is that right? <laughs> Yes, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Andy, just like as you were talking about Indian time or indigenous time, like our concept of time, I was fortunate enough to attend um, kind of like a training, I guess a network meeting. Um, It's called Indigenous Food Knowledge Network. It's basically a group of people from the Southwest and I guess like the Arctic area who are really trying to like, I guess, share indigenous food knowledge with one another and that was one of the conversations was about time like you know when we're trying to apply for grants or if we're trying to get you know we get we get a lot of universities asking to do research on you know about indigenous foods about indigenous people and it was like how do you tell them in a synopsis what we are and what we do and it was like you know it's you know like we're we're all about stories. You know, we have creation stories, you know, our prayers are not, they're not linear. They encompass, you know, the whole universe. And I think that's what really, you know, it's really hard because, you know, in a clinical setting, it's, you know, I have 20 minutes to meet with this client. I have, you know, then I have to get them out and get the next person in. And just like I said, like, I'm not in a clinical setting. So, with my classes, it's really just like, hey, my name is Lynn, you know, and, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it is a tough balance because we exist in two worlds. We have to coexist in two worlds where it's like, okay, I got to pay my rent. I got to pay my bills. But at the same time, it's like when I go to work, I'm not driven by, you know, like I got to do this. I got to do this with this person, with this person. It's creating a good space and Okay, even though I've allotted this session to be an hour, I'm okay with it taking two hours if people are comfortable in telling their story to me, just like Felicia had said. So, you know, that concept of time, you know, we, 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 we do like taking our time. You know, we, we, we mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, you know, and like to me, that's not a bad thing. It creates a comfort where I know that they can be honest with me. 
and that, you know, if they have a question that they might think it's silly, that I'm not going to say, oh, you don't know what a spatula is <laughs> kind of a thing. It's like, oh, that's a very good question. You know, let me show you. Or this is how you would, you know, use this. Where I was going when I when I mentioned like we're talking about all this disconnectivity is um what what does connectivity look like um you know for me maybe that looks like um you know we just feel comfortable with each other we can joke with each other you know when when native women laugh it's just like so booming and really loud because we just <laughs> we know um what yeah. each other's thinking about and each other's um uh, uh experiences but um yeah, maybe in your own uh, way of thinking about connectivity between Native people. Um, uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, let's go with Felicia first. Yeah, well, for me, you know, it's about um, kind of like what Lynn said, and it actually what you said, too. Um, I think in general, we we tend to laugh a lot um, in my classes, and I think that is allowing people to kind of take off that layer that they're a student and they become more of like part of the community and, and a friend. I think connectivity, it's about that comfort level, feeling like you can ask something silly, maybe like what is a spatula? And, you know, in my own case, I, I tell them that story that I remember being, you know, learning how to cook and Someone said, can you pass me the potato masher? And, and I did not know what that was. And I was too embarrassed to ask. And finally, they got it for me. And I said, oh, in our house, we call that the bean masher. <laughs> and so it's kind of like having that sense of comfort. And and I guess that's the biggest thing. You know, we, we all do things, I think, in the kitchen when we're cooking, things like, um, gossiping and chit-chatting and talking and we're laughing and we're joking and we're just really catching up. And I love that in, in my cooking classes because it means people have let their guard down. They're connecting to the ritual of cooking again. You know, we, we joke around, we point with our lips, we do other things that they're, you know, Oh, I can't find this. And you're showing people how to do stuff. It's like suddenly they, are working together as a team and um, that builds community, that builds connections just within the kitchen. And then uh, for you, Lynn, uh, what does connectivity mean either in the kitchen or with food or, you know, just, just how you understand connectivity between Native people? Food, food brings people to, brings people together. We celebrate about food, you know, when we have birthday parties, when, you know, the first last, um, you know, they're, they're, we, we celebrate with food. So for me, it's we all eat, you know, let, let, this is a time for us all to come together and prepare this meal together and learn from one another. You know, like I really liked how you, you know, diced your, your tomato so small or your onion. Like, can you show me how to do that? Um, so it's really trying to, you know, create that community element and that friendly element, a safe space so that they know that, you know, that they, they can be themselves. And, you know, I think um, one thing that you said was so perfect, too, was that it, it kind of like does build that community, like they start kind of teaching each other that's in their connecting with each other. Something that I notice when I'm teaching non-Indigenous people, like in the people are like, oh, I can't wait to make this for a dinner party, or I can't wait to make this for somebody. But the indigenous st 
students, like they they start talking to each other. They're like, we should make this together for so-and-so's party, or we should, you know, let's get together at someone's house and we'll try making this. And it's like, they're all buzzing around figuring out how they can do it again with each other. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I would like to say, I think Andy, it, you know, you're doing such a great job with the podcast. Um, I would really love to hear different listeners like send in emails and questions like based on this topic actually. And then you do a show or something where, you know, you, you address what they've asked. I just think that, I mean, Lynn and I can talk and, and you can talk, but I would really love to hear what some of those questions are from different people, indigenous and or not, just on this topic. And because I kind of feel like if we're talking about creating dialogue and connectivity, then I guess that's a, another step, right? Listening to maybe what other people might have to input or have questions about. That's right. If you have questions about this topic and you want Felicia and Lynn to come back and answer them, send me a message through social media or through the Toasted Sister Podcast website. That's ToastedSisterPodcast.com. Toasted Sister is supported by the Kuwanik Broadcast Corporation. It plays regularly on KCZY Radio. That's the Navajo Technical University's radio station in Crown Point, New Mexico. That's my hometown. And this podcast is also part of the weekly lineup on The River, R-I-V-R. Check out theriver.net to hear some contemporary Native music and Native radio shows like this one. And music was created for Toasted Sister by CWION. Check out this duo's great Mississippi Hill Country blues music on Bandcamp or at CWION.com. That's C-W-A-Y-O-N.com. And thank you for listening. I'm Andy Murphy.